everybody just getting all of the guests and hosts up on stage. You're going to absolutely love this show today because both Mario and Ran are on planes and we can say literally anything we want about the two of them and I doubt they'll ever listen back. So uh, if anybody has anything amazing or just really terrible to say about either Mario or Ran, and now's your chance. And I can tell you that I'm always uh, extremely receptive and open to criticism of other people. Um, so you guys can certainly share that with us. So, but seriously, both of them uh, are in flight, I believe, right now. Going to try to check in if they can get it to work on a plane. But every time uh, we attempt that, it generally is futile. The best part is that they're probably listening right now and dying to respond, but uh, uh, unable to do so. As always, guys, Friday, we get to sort of wrap up the week. Some uh, big news that's been happening here and obviously have an amazing, amazing crew of guests up on stage. I'm going to repeat this because every time I'm, I'm alone here, I like to make the point that everyone that we bring up on stage, we view as the final experts, authorities uh, on these topics, the people that we are very comfortable getting our updates from, getting our perspective from. So you should be following every single uh, guest that we have up on stage because these really are the guys that we're both publicly and privately that we call when we say, hey, we have this topic. We are not the experts on it. You are. So let's discuss it. Also, you should be following crypto underscore town hall. That's that big red logo that uh, is hosting this because, as you can see, this is where we host crypto town hall. A lot of you may remember that we used to do it on Mario's account. And I'm super psyched to see this uh, particular panel up here because, man, there's some of my favorite people, uh, both uh, in the virtual world and in the real world. Mr. Deaton, how are you doing today, buddy? What's up, Scott? How are you? Thanks for having me, brother. And I got to be on the other side. We did a, we did a podcast a stream on your show where I actually got to be one of the guests and I pretended to be a lawyer on TV. You did great, man. It was nice uh, putting you on the spot and getting your perspective. Uh, you can, there's not a single probably uh, thing that I have authority on around the law, except for maybe discussing SPF, which was the topic. So at least you gave me some uh, softballs on something that I'm familiar with. Obviously, that is going to be a topic today as well. Guys, I want to run through some of the highlights of the news that we do have today before we get started. Uh, FTX sold $59 million of assets so far. Buy Bitcoin search queries up 826% in the UK. SPF widely derided after taking the stand. We're going to obviously dig in more to that with our wonderful panel of lawyers here. JP Morgan says an SEC rejection of spot ETFs could lead to lawsuits. And once again, JP Morgan, 1 billion daily transactions in JPM coin. You guys heard that right. When I saw that piece of news, I was really shocked that their private blockchain, this is not to be confused with anything public, it's basically a clone of Ethereum, but doing a billion a day in transactions. Uh, one of the more surprising stories that we're definitely going to dig in was that Senator Lummis wants criminal charges for Binance and Tether. You guys may know Cynthia Lummis. She's a favorite of the crypto community, one of my favorite interviews in the world. Uh, she's leading the charge for stablecoin and other crypto legislation alongside Democrats uh, Gillibrand from New York. But uh, even after sort of we've seen this disproven FUD around the Hamas funding, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about even further, even after that, she penned this letter basically uh, accusing Binance and Tether of being complicit in funding Hamas specifically and that the DOJ should move forward with uh, against them. Turkey plans to craft crypto framework in 2024. 
And then, of course, there's no evidence that Hamas received significant crypto donations. And we can keep going uh, on and on and on. Billionaire Ken Griffin, Citadel Securities, denies ridiculous claim that it tanked Doquan's Terraform. You got to love the narratives that we get in crypto. And then, of course, maybe one that uh, will be worth talking about at some point is that Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, for the first time in 17 years at the helm of the company, is selling some J.P. Morgan stock, selling him and his family. But we all know that that means him uh, hiding in a family trust structure. Uh, him and his family will be selling 1 million of their 8.6 million shares of J.P. Morgan stock in 2024 causing quite a lot of uh, a stir in the market and, and people conjecturing. But let's talk about SBF. I'm sure that everybody uh, has been at least following the trial. Yesterday was sort of a curious moment where SBF testified, but not in front of the jury. Uh, they, maybe, John, let's talk about it really quickly. Why, do you, why did we see SBF in this sort of unique position? Even the judge was sort of seemingly taken aback and confused as to what was going on. But uh, he basically testified in what seems like a mock testimony to get him ready. Yeah, it was uh, very fascinating. Even the judge said he had never done it before. And I, as a former federal prosecutor and criminal defense attorney, I've never seen it. uh, Basically, the judge, it's sort of like a proffer. The judge knows, the defense told the judge they're going to go a certain line of questioning. Let's say blame the lawyer defense, if you will. And the judge wanted to hear what that was going to sound like, hear like uh, how SBF was going to testify. And then he was basically going to decide whether or not to allow that line of questioning. And so it was just a judge taking control of the trial, not letting the defendant get on there and potentially say things on the spot where it'd be constantly being interrupted. Uh, the prosecutor would object. They'd have to go to sidebar. And, you know, what's the expected testimony? How's he going to answer? The judge wanted more of a clean, you know, direct and cross-examination. So he wanted to get sort of this housekeeping of the nature of the testimony, what he's going to allow, what he's not going to allow to take place first. And that's basically what happened consider it like a proffer of testimony and so we'll get the judge's ruling this morning on if whether he's going to restrict certain line of questioning of sbf there were some curious moments right i guess we don't know if he got his adderall or not which was seemingly the story of last week but there were some curious moments uh one of them where there was an objection that was sustained and then sbf effectively answered the question anyway and his lawyer looked at him and said dude have you been here for the last four weeks yeah literally his own lawyer is frustrated with his own stupidity and insistence and narcissism that he had to answer the question no matter what sbf saying that he had no idea it was wrong to take customer funds and he thought it was in the terms of service. I mean, there were some real head scratchers here. Yeah, listen, I mean, he's got to take the stand, right, to to the whole viable defense. Everybody's got to understand. He's got one shot, in my opinion, is that he takes the stand and he tries to convince one juror out of the 12, one of them, that, you know, will hold strong, that he didn't form fraudulent intent, that he didn't have the, the mens rea, the requisite specific intent to defraud to steal people's money to money launder those things and if he can convince one jury get a hung jury and then his defense attorney can go to the prosecutor and say dude you know i've seen your entire case i'm gonna cross better the second go around maybe i get two or three next time maybe i win and you cut a deal you know for 10 years or some shit like that i mean that's the only thing i can think of but if 
If that is SPF on Adderall, I'd hate to see this dude testify without his Adderall because <laughs> he uh, he was all over the place. And I think that defense moment, that is a culmination, in my opinion, having dealt with clients that are difficult, especially if you're talking about a narcissistic sociopath like SPF, where I think the culmination of his frustration was like, dude, it got sustained. And you know better than that. Like, have you not been paying attention? And so I think that was a moment when the client issues uh, kind of surfaced to, to the defense attorney. But it was it was interesting. I mean, the bottom line is this is a dream cross-examination for a prosecutor, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like even without my law degree, I could go in and uh, cross-examine this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's going to go, you know, I didn't have the intent. It all happened so fast, and the lawyers were in the room with me. And, you know, uh, I, I thought we, even though our user agreement says otherwise, right, the, the user agreement on the FTX uh, uh, doesn't allow it, doesn't specify that, certainly doesn't give customers notice. And I believe it's, uh, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I believe one of the other lawyers might be better suited to answer it, basically states otherwise. And so he's just, hey, the, the lawyer next to me in the room knew I was doing this and didn't didn't tell me otherwise kind of defense. And so uh, it's pretty weak. And I think that he's. Yeah. The judge pushed pretty. Yeah. The, the judge pushed back pretty hard on the idea that he could blame his lawyers as well. I mean, he just, it, it, it's, it's not going well. I think obviously it seems like his best chance now is to uh, romantically look deeply into the eyes of a female juror and hope for the best. <laughs> well, yeah. good, 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 good luck with that. <laughs> Well, apparently, Martin Shkreli says it worked for him, by the way. So uh, that, that's where I, I got the very idea. But Darren, I'm going to let you comment, then I want to uh, talk to Preston about this, obviously, our other resident lawyer. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I am not a, a lawyer by trade, but, uh, you know, have some experience with uh, a jury, right, uh, serving uh, for jury duty. And I think one of the, the difficulties here uh, serving on a jury is that you would have no prior knowledge uh, of SBF and, you know, everything that's been happening in the news, right? Like to be able to be selected to this jury, you, you have to be impartial, which also means that you have to be relatively out of the loop of the, the current news cycle. And, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, I think there may be some predisposition to give him the benefit of the doubt. However, you know, everybody here on this panel, everybody speaking here, and I would assume most listeners have been following SPF for a number of uh, years, right? And so I think that's one of the things that I get held up when you think about this going to a jury, thinking about somebody hearing this for the very first time and only hearing the facts of the case you know, that's that's my concern is that one of these may not uh, be able to see the the wolf in, in sheep's clothing because of uh, them, you know, only hearing this for the first time. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's a good point. Preston, what do you think is the path forward, if any, for SBF? You can say there is none, by the way. Nobody will fault you. Yeah, you know, I'm not in a great position to, to talk about the trial. So, uh, so I, you know, I think the only thing I could say is that the comments yesterday about Dan Friedberg as a lawyer who represents, you know, crypto companies, something to keep in mind, right, is that your advice that you give 
um, <laughs> might one day wind up getting quoted by a client on the stand. Um, so that's something where, uh, you know, particularly newer practitioners in the space should keep in mind not to play fast and loose. Uh, but no, I really shouldn't talk about the trial if that's all right. I heard uh, if you did a shot yesterday every time SPF said Friedberg that you would have been drunk in about 30 seconds and dead after about 10 minutes. <laughs> that that could that be that true. It, it basically, his, the entire premise of his argument was he, he made me do it. I mean, John, when you talked about blaming the lawyers, was that the name that kept coming up? Because that's what I heard. Yeah, basically, you know, and um, that, that's a fine line. That And the judge is, uh, this judge is trying to keep... Uh, a tight leash on what he's going to allow or not allow. And so, um, uh, but yes, I mean, his defense is that he did not believe he was doing anything wrong. He's a good guy and he, he made some mistakes and he didn't appreciate the risk and this and that. And, and that, you know, the Caroline and Gary and, and his lead engineer that, you know, they all just cut deals and threw them under the bus and are lying uh, so that they could do less prison time. And, but he just did, he didn't know these things, you know, he, you got to remember there's a lot of stuff that the prosecutor can bring up because we can't forget what I believe SBF's trying to do is just continue that media tour that he did. Remember before he got arrested, he was going to, uh, he, he did get interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin at New York Times. And you had people like Bill Ackman and Kevin O'Leary say, oh, you know, I, I kind of feel sorry for the kid. You know, I, it all just got ahead of him. And so I think he thinks he can convince, you know, people, other people, regular people uh, of that sort of theme. Uh, his testimony before Congress, remember, he got arrested before he was supposed to testify before Congress. And his opening statement was, quote, I fucked up, uh, but it was, you know, it basically, I'm incompetent. I'm not a criminal. It, it's sort of, and, and I got bad legal advice. I mean, that's his entire defense. And so, yeah, I mean, my, my, my four-year-old once was holding a marker, and there was marker marks all over the wall, and he used the same argument that he hadn't done it, and it was somebody else, and, and uh, he wasn't responsible because he's young. I mean, it's literally this guy sounds like a child. Yeah, but I, I believe um, – uh, I believe it was uh, Darren, uh, you know, he makes a great point, uh, which is, you know, uh, the rest of us uh, have been following this. We know all those previous statements. Like I'm talking about the Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, interview. I'm talking about the spaces that he would that SBF was on. These jurors are immune to all that. So, you know, that's a valid point that uh, we always have to remember that uh, what we know and what the jury's perception are two different things. That's why I said, as far as I'm concerned, the only viable defense is trying to get, you know, one or two jurors to hang uh, strong and then and then plead later if he can get a hung jury. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, then him getting up there and testifying before this judge who will deem it as perjury and things like that, that will impact the sentence if he gets convicted. Yeah, and I think this case is different than some of the other crypto collapses we saw in the past, but his arguments are ring uh, kind of echo, I guess, what, what we saw in the past. I mean, Chris, Simon, maybe you could address this. Maybe maybe Sam is making me, I thought I could use customer assets, no big deal argument because he saw in the Celsius case and in the bankruptcy there, which obviously you've been very in, involved in, 
he saw basically the court come back and say those weren't your assets once you handed them over to Celsius, to the customers, right? And so maybe he's kind of trying to echo that same terms of service defense that he's seen, quote unquote, work, or at least uh, be received relatively well by the courts elsewhere. Hmm. Yeah, interesting thought. So um, the yeah, well, then it would just push him into offering an legal security, which would then be a civil crime rather than a criminal crime, as it were. Um so yeah, that, that's a that's an interesting thought. But yeah, to me, it's just totally implausible. We were on these spaces. Um, this is a complete continuation of what we heard on these spaces. I fucked up. I don't know what happened. You know, um, it was uh, it was Caroline that was doing that, and uh, you know, we built bad technology, and we just couldn't keep ahead of the numbers, and we um, didn't hedge or anything. But every single testimony that i've heard of from you know following others that are doing the reporting on this um indicates that he knows exactly what he what he was doing um and you know another interesting question is it's a shame that his dad's not a lawyer and wasn't intimately involved in ftx as well to kind of help him understand <laughs> yeah. it yeah i mean he was in the meetings with the regulators i think it came out like the dad was literally there for everything it seems yeah no you know to know to not think that you can't use um you know client money um yeah you know it, i mean even this guy was going lobbying regulators around new types of regulations which would involved an element of how to define self-custody custody how to do it within the DeFi space if you're lobbying regulators your father's a lawyer you had a career in a hedge fund um you've painted yourself as this genius whiz kid, you were involved in all decisions. Um, everyone has said, you know, to me, it's a Hail Mary. And the question I've got for the lawyers is, would he have reduced his sentence by pleading guilty at this stage versus um, going on the stand and, and lying again? What's, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me point out to what Simon, uh, the continuation of Simon's point uh, Scott, it's not just like imagine if he would have like used a hundred million of customer funds. You know, maybe he could make this argument, but when the testimony is seventy-five percent or more of all customer funds were commandeered. I mean, if you have ten billion and you, you and you steal eight billion of it, it's a little bit more difficult to make that kind of plausible argument. That uh, and so we, we got to look at the, the depth of this criminal enterprise uh, as it relates to his intent. But to answer Simon's question, sure, you know the, the prosecutors weren't offering a deal. They they cut the deal with the insiders, Caroline and Gary and and Singh, and um, he goes in there. He throws himself in the mercy of the court, and you know maybe he gets twenty years. Maybe he gets 30. Maybe the judge gives him 15. I don't know, but but it would be less because now he testifies, uh, forces the trial, gets up there. And if the judge is convinced that he lied and perjured himself, then he's not taking responsibility. When you plead guilty, you have to. And that's the other thing. SBF would have to allocute. He'd have to stand up and say, yes. I committed fraud. Yes, I intended and I knew better and I took people's money and I used it to buy luxury real estate and, and pay off politicians and regulators and all the things he did with it. 
And he wasn't capable of saying that. And so he forced his trial. And when he gets on there and perjures himself, it will make a big difference in the, uh, the sentence. Absolutely. You can count on it being double. Yeah, I think it's wow, very clear. So, do, yeah. sorry. In, in terms of rules, do you have do you have to get everybody, all the jurors, to unanimously agree, or if you can get one of them, one of them to believe that he's he's innocent, then what happens next? Well, that's what I was saying, and I think that the you know you never want to be too critical of a defense attorney, you know, because it's easy to Monday morning quarterback for anyone. But you know, the only viable strategy in my opinion is what I said yes you you have to get unanimous you get one juror to hold out to say I don't believe that you know I that he falls for the story that you know the what Bill Ackman thought after Sam you know was interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin yeah you know I just got ahead of the kid and and, and he was just young and dumb and made stupid mistakes but he you know he's not a bad guy he never had that you know he was a good guy who fucked up that's the, the theory. And if you can get one of them who holds out the entire time and refuses to, uh, to convict, then it's a hung jury at some point. The judge is going to do everything he can to prevent that. He's going to make them go back and deliberate. But after a long, lengthy deliberation, if it comes back, we're never going to be unanimous it's a hung jury. That's when the pro the defense attorney goes to the prosecutor and says, I've seen your entire case. I've crossed these people already. I'm going to be better at it the next time. And I might get more than one the next time. And it puts the pressure on the prosecutor. And then you cut a deal. But that would require Sam agreeing to the deal. And no, that, you know, that's the, you know, I don't know if, if he would ever agree to the deal is he going to demand a second trial if they were to get that i'm not suggesting that that's going to happen anybody i'm just answering the quick the question of what i think is the only hell mary chance that he doesn't spend decades in prison yeah the most damning part to me of the bill ackman o'leary etc argument which may by the way be valid for other collapses in the crypto space, things that just got ahead of people and they went further down the risk curve and made mistakes. But the most damning thing is that we heard in the testimony, this all goes back to 2019, right? He was already taking customer funds before we even hit the last bull market, right? And already had the door. And it just seems that at the end of the day, Alameda was always SBF's priority and always his baby. And FTX was just his piggy bank for Alameda. I mean, that that's how I view it. Nick, I saw you had your hand up and then we're going to wrap up the SBF conversation and move on. Yeah, I was just going to kind of hop on with Simon there. And, you know, he's talking about it. You know, it's a shame that he didn't have a dad that was a lawyer and wasn't involved, etc. Um, but I also his dad was saying he was quoted saying he was underpaid and needed bigger bonuses. So, you know, his dad was there kind of coddling Sam throughout. And he called his mommy when Sam didn't agree. Exactly. I mean, how, how crazy is that? And, you know, the other thing is, too, I don't know if Sam will ever plead guilty or admit to it. And he probably will try to just keep pushing for more trials as far as he can until he's thrown in prison. Just because in his head, I think he thinks uh, he can't ever be in trouble. Just the way he was silver spooning his mouth, had his mommy and daddy coddling him, all those great connections to make FTX what it was. I don't know if his brain can even process that he's actually about to spend years decades in prison potentially so um that's really all i wanted to say on that and also you know it's it's kind of funny how he's hailed as this uh, genius and then now he's trying to play dumb so i think he knows what's going on i think that was a slip up he had in the in the court in the trial uh, yesterday or whatever it was but uh you know i think he's just trying to play dumb see if he can get that over on one of the juries and we'll see what happens but 
it's a shame. It's a shame for the industry, but it'll be nice when it when it uh, comes to a close here, hopefully sooner than later. Sure. Hey, did um, did I mean, Kevin O'Leary yeah, ever walk? Did Kevin O'Leary ever walk back any of his comments, or um, was he just I'm trying to take down Binance? Not, not yeah. that I'm aware of. Actually, you know, he still kind of blamed Binance for it. And I think he even said that if Sam got out of this clean, that he would even potentially invest with Sam on another venture in the future. Still, kind of hailing him as this genius, even with all this uh, evidence of the opposite occurring. Yeah, Stockholm syndrome is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all I can say. So, that. We're Kevin, move on Kevin, O'Leary, Kevin oh. O'Leary is bad for crypto. Let's just leave it at that. Still wonderful though. Yeah, okay. He's literally his name, <laughs> Mister Wonderful. You, you obviously don't know his name. Anyways, that's sarcasm, guys. Don't cut that up. Anyways, uh, moving on to the next story, which I, I think we can start. We've beaten it kind of to death, but obviously this Hamas funding story, the Wall Street Journal put out an article with a very hyperbolic title claiming that effectively Hamas had been largely funded by donations and cryptocurrency to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, not letting a good tragedy go to waste, decided to gather, I believe it was 105 senators and congresspeople to then send a letter saying we need to resolve this, take care of it very quickly, crack down on the crypto industry. After that letter was sent, we saw, of course, Chainalysis uh, did a great piece digging in and saying, listen, this is completely miscalculated, that this is more, not tens of millions of dollars, more like maybe $450,000. And then Elliptic, who the Wall Street Journal article was based on, wrote a full retraction saying that basically the data was incorrect, that it was uh, misspoken, and it was even less than that $450,000. Effectively, there was a nothing burger, right? So then the bigger story became, why hasn't uh, Senator Warren, we know the answer there, but especially the Wall Street Journal, why haven't we seen a retraction on this story from them? Clarity. Now, listen, we all know that a retraction will go completely unnoticed. Once the main headline is out there, we know how news works. Whoever read that thinks it's true will never see the retraction. But still, I think it's important that we get that. But the bigger head scratcher, I think, is the follow up to that, which is even after the clear retraction, everybody who's following this knows that it was a story based on fake news. Then we get Senator Lummis, who's extremely Bitcoin friendly, who wrote the, you know, who is a co-author of the Lummis Gillibrand bill that gives sweeping uh, legislation on crypto and stable coins, especially. She stepped in and urges swift action against Binance and Tether specifically for links to terrorist groups. She basically doubled down on this FUD and then actually named names. And I mean, for example, she tweeted, when it comes to illicit finance, crypto is not the enemy. Bad actors are. I sent a letter asking DOJ to finish its investigation and consider criminal charges against Binance and Tether after reports they serve as intermediaries for Hamas and engage in illicit activities. Palo Arduino from Tether, by the way, quickly responded saying, I I don't know what you're talking about, lady. We've been working with law enforcement. You've seen us freezing wallets left and right. Give me a break. But just more continuation of the FUD. That was uh, the TLDR that maybe was just uh, TL. But Yago, go ahead. What are your thoughts here? This is a very real and dangerous conversation. I think one which I personally take very seriously, and I think we all should. Just to give a little bit of context of where I'm coming from, my family have been for weeks sheltering with their children uh, from Hamas rockets. Uh, I have friends who are currently dealing with the front lines of the situation, and I have friends, um, family friends, whose son is currently held hostage 
and they don't know where he is, which is one of the most tragic things that can happen to a parent. And this terror organization, like all terror organizations, is causing untold suffering, very real, very dangerous suffering to Israelis, to Palestinians, and terrorist organizations cause very real suffering around the world. So this is a very real subject. And for me, a very personal one, because I'm working on a project called Sovereign, and Sovereign's goal is to allow anyone to transact, trade, lend, anyone to be able to do that in an unstoppable way. And I have to ask myself, are we building tools that are going to facilitate terror? And so with that context, I want to say that the use that Wall Street Journal have made and that politicians are trying to make of this subject is cynical and is immoral. And there are two reasons for that. First of all, this KYC AML regime that we've created is incredibly ineffective, but worse than being ineffective, it's a much bigger scam than anything FTX ever did. It costs us $50 billion a year in compliance costs. That's a tax that every single one of us pays. It taxes the opportunity for entrepreneurs to compete with banks because it makes it impossible uh, for anything but the largest organizations to act as financial intermediaries. And in 2014, I started a Bitcoin remittance company because UK banks decided that what they were going to do is shut off transactions to Somalia because it was too expensive for them to comply. And Somalia at the time was a country which relied on remittance for 80% of its GDP. And as a result of the fact that the UK banks decided to do this, there was a mass famine which cost the lives of close to a million people. So the cost of this KYC AML regime to us is billions of dollars, loss of innovation, the loss of our privacy, and every single year there's a mass hack in which these honeypots of personal information are distributed to the world's most nefarious actors. And every now and again, it inadvertently kills a million people. And what are we getting in return? Well, estimates are that of all global illicit funds, the KYC AML regime intercepts less than 0.2% or the equivalent of 500 million a year. In other words, we're spending $50 billion in order to intercept $500 million of flows. That's 100 to one. That's ridiculously poor ROI. It's never stopped an autocratic regime. It's never stopped a dictator and it's never stopped a terrorist organization. KYC AML is a complete ineffective fabrication and scam. And why? Because Money is so much more important than speech. Everything we do in our lives, we work for money, we save our money, we spend our money on the things that are valuable to us and the people that are valuable to us. Much more than speech, money is the way that we express who we are and what we value. And if you can control money, you can control what we can express and who we can be and who we can associate with. And so this right that we speak about a lot the rights to free speech is important, but nowhere near as important as the rights to free money. And that's exactly why any excuse will do to attack it. And so in my mind, this is because it kills people, because it destroys innovation, and because it creates the world's largest web of government overreach and surveillance, 
is one of the most important ideological, moral, and practical problems that we face. There's no evidence that KYC AML has ever stopped a criminal organization or a terrorist organization, but we know that it costs all of us our liberty and much, much more. So I think that if there's any reason we should be excited and think it's important to deal with the industry that we're dealing with, this is the reason. Go ahead, Tony. Um, I have some comments to share regarding Senator Lummis and uh, French Hill, both of whom I've interviewed. And um, there's many layers to this. So I think they're certainly using the Elizabeth Warren Hamas crypto uh, FUD and lies as an opportunity to take down Binance and Tether. And uh, from the lobbying groups I spoke to in D.C., such as the Blockchain Association, Binance and Tether, everybody in D.C. would love to take them down. They don't have a good reputation. So I think Lummis... Um, while I respect her and Franchella, I've spoken to both of them. I think they're using this as an opportunity to try to sneak in something there uh, to further paint Binance and Tether in a bad light and uh, possibly pull some information and use the momentum that Elizabeth Warren has started. Um, the other aspect to it is from the folks I've spoken to at the Blockchain Association, even though you may have uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, and, or certain groups working together towards crypto regulation, Many of them are looking to get the notoriety to attach their name to anything that would uh, either further crypto or take down certain bad actors, right? They, they want that notoriety. So I see this as an opera, Lummis and uh, French Hill being opportunists here. And if they probably hear this, they probably want to be happy about it. But um, just from the people I've been speaking to, so. Uh, you know, I don't know where this has legs or is just an optics thing, but just, just some tips right. I wanted to. I, I mean, there's also the potential that it's, uh, I mean, perhaps opportunist, as you said, but also the chance to centralize to organizations and products and companies that the United States government would be more comfortable with, like USDC and Coinbase versus a Tether and a Binance and uh, effectively exactly. to eliminate the offshore actors and uh, centralized to the ones that are onshore, uh, heavily more he heavily regulated by the United States, where she's writing this legislation. Uh, I think that that potentially could be a side of it as well.